Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to answer more of your coaching questions today. You can submit them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. But before we get into the questions, actually, we've got a few things. We've got to do some makeup work, but also, Nate, congrats are in order to you. You're ruining my story. I'm ruining... Oh, (laughs) goodness. Well, do you you want to just jump into your story and pretend I never said anything? Yes. So we we missed a podcast recording because Chad got sick. Mm -hmm. Too much training, weak immune system. Actually, too much travel. He went to Costa Rica, yeah. It wasn't even Costa Rica. It was building before that. Just a whole lot of travel in the last couple months took its toll. True. So I've had some travel too. I went down to Sacramento and my wife did CIM. She qualified for Boston. Which is CIM is? Uh, California International Marathon. Mm. So for her time, she had to get under a 340 for age group. She's 35. And uh, she beat it by like 340, three minutes and 40 seconds. And then one thing I didn't know is that when you qualify for Boston, to be able to go race Boston, you actually have to beat your qualifying time. Like you qualify for Boston, but then they'll have a cutoff and say, People, everyone, um, the, like a few years ago, the cutoff was you had to beat your time by 55 seconds. Last hmm. year it was like two and a half minutes because so many people qualify. They even lowered the times. So um, do people just like qualify and then this is to discourage them from just doing whatever they want during the marathon and not running hard? Is that the... No, it's just they, they can only have, I think it's 40,000 people. Mm. So they have 60,000 that want in. And oh, I think okay. the amount of people that just barely qualify by like, you know, 30 seconds is high. Gotcha. Um, But so anyway, she qualified and hopefully we can go next year. It won't actually won't be 2017. It would be 2018. So we'll try and I'll keep everyone updated on that. I also did cross race that same weekend in Sacramento and I got, was it fifth place? You were, you were upset. And I missed second place by like, I think it was six seconds (sighs) between that. And I made like 45 seconds of mistakes, which is, was really not make me happy. Those mistakes were mostly in and around barriers. Is that right? I wrote them all down. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So this is, hopefully everyone can kind of get, learn something from this. The, the course was, it was kind of long and skinny. Um, there wasn't actually a lot of ability to pass people. Um, it was wet grass and there were wet leaves on it. So it was, it was on a, on a hill and you'd kind of ride the off camber long way on the hill. So not really up and down it as much as like alongside of it, Hmm. but then there would be kind of S turns going up and down the hill. And one mistake that I did over and over again was going down the hill when I wouldn't make the S turns very well, I should have practiced that. So during warm up, when I knew I wasn't doing those turns very efficiently, instead of just like riding around and trying to warm up more, I could have warmed up and practiced that. Mm. That would have been a lot smarter, right? Like, hey, this is giving me problems. Let me just try this like four or five times. You don't see right. a lot of people do that during warmups, but you should, right? Totally should. Sessioning things like Ryan Leach. Yeah, said. I know. And and especially, I it doesn't, especially just going downhill, it doesn't going to like wear me out. You know what I mean? Right. Just, I can pedal up easy at like 150 watts and then try it again. So what I would do is, and I never thought about this before, but at the at the bottom of the hill, and this is really short, you know, it's like five seconds. So you, you go S turn down at the bottom of the hill. I'd still be in the same gearing that I was at the top and it would actually be too low. Mm-hmm. And then I would kind of like have to switch down mm-hmm. and I would do that over and over again. I'd be like, Oh, why didn't you do that? Because at the bottom you would immediately start going back up the hill. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So normally at the bottom of the hill, you're always in a big gear because you're going fast, but because that last, the second S usually have to scrub off a lot of speed, you had to accelerate out of that. And if I would have been in a, um, 
an easier gear at the top, you know, I would have just not fiddled with that. And that'd probably be half second per S turn, but there were, I probably did like 15 of, you know, not 15, but maybe 10 of those. So that could have been five seconds right there. Um, Also on this run up, there were, there's kind of like a, so it, it was a, it was early on in the race and there was like a technical run up and I went kind of on the easier side, but there was like a short, like just a barely shorter way. Uh-huh. And it was really steep. And a couple guys would each time, actually someone would run past me there. It was a lot steeper and I think they were putting out more energy. But then after that, it, I'd get stuck behind them. It was like a, almost like a single track. And then there'd be a technical section, which I was actually faster than people on. Nice job. Yeah. You had to like jump a route and I was channeling my Ryan Leach. So getting into the, hold on just before you get into that, that's interesting because it's not just the obstacle. Like when you look at a run up, it might be the safer route to pick one that is less steep that you can conserve your energy. Hmm. But if the people that are going up the steep side are more fatigued and you come up behind them with more energy, but you can't pass them, it doesn't matter. That's exactly what it was. And then it It doesn't matter. Yeah. So you have the the line choice in one Hmm. portion of the course. It's never isolated. It's always dependent. The the course, like Formula One drivers, they don't see turns as much as they see a line that follows through the whole course, right? Mm -hmm. It links from one to the next. If I would have taken that like steeper little bit, I would have blocked them from passing me and I could have still ran it a little bit easier. And if they would have tried to come me on, come around me on the easier side, I could have picked up a little bit, but I would have had such a, um, a bigger benefit of being in front of everybody in that next section. Cause it was like a, it was my section. It was a power section with one route route you had to to hop and people would like slow down when they got to the route and kind of just gingerly hop it. Mm-hmm. I was hitting something every time. On that route. It was like, I think I hope it was my, uh, either my bottom bracket or my, uh, like the, the bottom of my bike or my chain ring. Yeah. But I didn't care. I went well, crazy. You, and you got your chain on your chain ring. So yeah, it was fine. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I showed up the start line too late. Yeah. So this one, this race, what, like I said, it was congested and my first lap was 30 seconds slower than all my other laps. Wow. Yeah. That's and, and they were like seven minutes. I think it was like 7.23, and then my other laps were like 6.50. How aggressively did you attack the start? Did you try to get out in front of people? Well, I tried, but it was so... It was... it was So narrow? Yeah, it was narrow. It was like Cross Vegas, right? Like, I mean, it wasn't as crunched as that, but this was a... This was a prime example of I needed to be to the start early and sprinting would have saved me a lot of time mm-hmm. just to be some open field. You know what I yeah, mean? Sure. So I could get through everyone. Yeah. Um, one tip too that I do and I, I didn't see a lot of cross racers do is gluing your bib. We never talked about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gluing your... your or gluing uh, your number. Your number, not your bib. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> gluing your number to your bib. Yep. So I use 3M77 spray. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was doing this and I actually did it to a couple people at the cross race. What you do is you, you have to get the 77. If you don't get the 77, you yeah. might stay yeah. on forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you just barely spray the edges of your bib and like a little shot in the middle. I'm going to do the sound the, the of number, the spray. The number. You barely spray the edges of your number. Yeah. I keep saying bib, huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah the number. So I put it's it on it's the, super common, by the way. A lot of people call them bibs, but they're just numbers. Yeah. So I put it on the ground and I go like that. I've had friends go like we this We all know for me. exactly what that's like now. Go like this. They go, <laughs> shh, don't do that. Yeah, Because uh, that happens and the glue will seep through your bib and it will stick to your skin. Yeah. So you do that jersey. and then you immediately yeah. put it on your body for like 10 seconds and then it's stuck for the race. It won't, you don't have to pin it all, mm-hmm. which is nice. You don't put pins in it. And then you just peel it off and put it in the washer and I've never had a problem with glue. 
like yeah. stain on. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I pinned a number. Sometimes out of desperation if I forget my glue, but typically I glue every time, especially for time trials on a skin suit. Yeah. There's there's no better way to get it to completely mesh with the fabric and, and, you, and present no 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 sort of wind wind penalty. Right. And when you do that, you want to put it onto the person, onto their jersey when they are in an arrow position yeah, or whatever exactly. position. Over. Whatever yeah. position they'll be riding in. Ask I your friend say. to bend over. You yep. Know, get your arms. It's a little out. awkward, but don't cover the necessary. pocket. It's okay. Yes, yeah. exactly. Don't cover the pocket. Yeah, and, and one tip that I've picked up with this whole gluing thing is, you know, I, I, I'm a little more liberal with my glue usage, mm-hmm. but uh, spray it on, let it stand for about 10 seconds yep. before you apply it to the, I say to no. the skin suit. No, huh. I, I hardly so disagree. I, I use Chad's method because that way I never get glue residue I've had on it my jersey. come up too many times if I rush the that little. 10 seconds if yeah. I take any, you know, if I and put it on it, right away, it, it's, it inevitably peels at the corners. What it seems to do too is when you spray it on and let it tack up a bit, it tends to bond to the number. And then when you put it onto the jersey, it doesn't seem to uh, transfer well, as much to the to the fabric of like the jersey. Tacky. Yep. Hmm, yeah. You guys might be right. So we use uh, a little more than I've, that. I think I've waited like too long and then it didn't stick at all. Right. Yeah, just like 10 seconds. And, and like Chad said, he uses more spray, but he lets it sit and tack up uh, and mm-hmm. then puts it on. So those are the two methods that I've actually found them. that in the event you're recycling a number and you know, you're going to use it the next race or two, I've washed my skin suit with the number on it just so I don't have to peel it off and take some of the silk screen. Yeah, the number or, will stay as oh, long yeah. as you're not using yeah. heat, right? Cause then if it uses heat, then it'll cause, oh more yeah, bonding. well I never dry my clothes so. anyway. So they're just hang yep. dry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's that story. Hopefully you learned something, what you could do hmm. the next weekend. I went down, Chad couldn't go. Why didn't you go I for Saturday? To, Your knee? Yeah, I'm not racing right now. Yeah, you're not ready. No. Yeah. So, um, Sacramento Cyclocross. By the way, Sacramento Cyclocross series, fantastic. Awesome. It is so well set up. One of the best ones in our. One of the best ones in the U.S. Honestly, it, it's amazing. If you can do the Sacramento Cross season or the their series, is that eight races and then district championships. So they had a the eighth race. It's called Gibson Ranch Park on a Saturday, and they had the championships on a Sunday. Oh, long story short. It rained all day Saturday. It got to- the the whole park got destroyed, like so 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 muddy. Um, I it, it was like a, the European cross race that you would yeah. see. I, I fell so many times. Luckily, I raced the seas, and the first race it wasn't so destroyed, and that was super fun because it was a little technical. There's some mud, and it still got covered, but it wasn't like later in the day and the next day. So I stayed around all day on that Saturday. I didn't think I was going to do very well at district. So I said, I'm just going to race again. I started racing the bees, which is later in the day. Everything was so torn up and I was just falling. I said, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to go back to the hotel and rest. Yeah. Um, next day I raced seas. Uh, I won district champion. boy. Yeah. Insert claps. If yeah. you're like a radio show. But yeah. The thing that was annoying is only two other guys showed up in my category. <laughs> That's a podium, Nate. Well, what's really I, annoying is by the time it comes po- podium uh, podium presentation, it, everyone left. They were like an hour afterwards. So I mean, you got mine were like two hours after. Oh, that's yeah. that's ridiculous. So Nobody hangs after that. I know. Yeah. So no one else was there. And you're just a me. single guy on the podium, which just is kind of deflating. Oh, it's deflating. It is. And with our kids and junior races, by the way, if you ever want to pump up your ego a bit, just find other people and tell them to stand on the podium with you. <laughs> yeah. Because you beat two people, so just find two people and have them stand up there. I right? know. And and you know, one of the guys only had a single day license, so he didn't even count. <laughs> <laughs> Even if he would have beat me. <laughs> hey, win's still a win. But win's so a win. The things that I've so a couple things that I've learned from the muddy race. One, uh, mud tires. 
I would have totally needed mud tires. We use Crossboss tires, mm-hmm. and they just packed on the mud. It was funny, you right? You just had a mud slick, I bet. Yeah, and so, they so explain what mud tires are. Is it? Uh, it's just, a different kind of tread pattern to one shed mud and be grippier in mud. Okay. So yeah. they kind of have larger uh, gaps in yeah. between treads. Okay, the tread on there also tends to be taller and flex so then that allows some shedding of mud when it when it does that and also they tend to be directional in other words like it's common to see mud tires with like v-shaped tread on them so we actually have mud-ish tires they came on our wheels and you know what i had yeah so when we first got the bikes they're the specialized terra something i can't remember the name what i should have done is i should have raced that first c on saturday known that i was going to get muddy instead of wait around all day in the rain and the cold Went to a bike shop, got new wheels, had them change it for me. New tires. Sit in the, new tires. No tires, yeah. yeah and went and wheels sit in, too, why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, um, so I would have done that. Uh, this course too was wide and easy to pass. Nice. And it was funny that the two guys that I started with, they sprinted off so hard. Like only, it was only three of us to start and then there was other groups behind us. Like in waves. Yeah, yeah. and I hit 1,000 watts in that sprint. And they were still way in front of me. It was a, a junior <laughs> and a, a, a guy in his 20s. And I passed him maybe 30, 40 seconds in. Out of a little boy. too caught up in the excitement of a yeah. race start. District champs, you get excited. Yeah, I get it. I beat him by like two, three, four. I think I mean two and five minutes. I don't know. I, Dang. I, I did it. I did wow. a good job on that. And they, the other annoying part was half the, the course was different the second day. Half was super muddy, but half was like innate course like totally made for me it was grass it was kind of hard to push through slight uphill but real power long sections and i made it all my time up there so you just wanted more people to beat right? i know like yeah. if it should have been uh, show know, up and race people i know but i, I <laughs> says the guy I'd like not to, racing. <laughs> yeah i like to think that everyone saw the start line the start list and they said hey oh, nate's racing i'm just not gonna show up <laughs> that's exactly but anyways next year i'll race the bees and so congrats, that's, Nate. That's the long story short is it was a lot of fun. Some I, fell, I fell maybe 10 times on that second <laughs> day race. Yeah. Sliding down hills with clipped in. It was bad. Good learning. Uh, good yeah. learnings from that Everyone one for sure. Uh, two things that we want to uh, clarify. I So I counted it up this morning. 47 people reached out to me about this mistake that I made on the podcast through like private social channels, everything else, 47. So, um, so we were talking about the quick link and you said at one point, so I need to replace my whole chain. And in the conversation, I understood link. I just and I was like, yeah, you have to replace the link. It can't be replaced. Your chain you can use over again, but the links are not replaceable, right? Oh, so are not reusable. Sense. Forgive me, reusable. That's replaceable. I, yes, not that's reusable. That's what I heard you say, but I guess yeah. it's recorded. So right in it's my recorded. mind, what we're saying is the eleven speed uh, link. It's a one-time use. Exactly right. And I, I saw people on Facebook, a lot of people say, hey, I reuse them all the time. But the manufacturers say, don't do that because they crimp and it changes mm-hmm. the metal. Yes. And that's a great way to hurt yourself is as, a chain that as breaks. A guy yeah, you, that you is, break a chain one time, you oh, won't make that mistake again. Ever again. Yeah, I, I broke one going up a, a climb here, the wall. I broke my chain going up that. And I slammed down so hard mm, on my groin that it broke pretty. my top tube. I managed to spin my pedal around into my opposite (laughs) chin. Things were were conveniently placed to one side, I guess. It was, but extremely painful. Um, It's never pretty. I I came out of my pedal, managed to spin the pedal around into my opposing shin. So so with all that force, that pedal, 
it hurt me. I did. Yeah. And usually, else. usually if your chain breaks, your foot blows out of the pedal. That happened to me. My foot blew out of the pedal. I was going uphill on a really steep climb. Thank goodness it wasn't anything fast. If you're going fast, what happens then is your weight goes forward, your foot goes into the ground, your groin slams the top tube, and then you do a front flip. Like it's just. I, I, I did that on the backside of Geiger. My uh, chain didn't break, but um, it fell off during a shift. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. Right over the front. It's terrifying. While climbing. It's yeah. Like, how do you crash while climbing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, terrifying. It's a mechanical. I don't count that as a as, so, a, as one of my crashes. So Shimano and SRAM and KMC, all three of them, I looked this up, all three of them say, do not use this link more than once. You put it on. That's why SRAM is actually made theirs really hard to get off. Hmm. You click that thing on and it's it's more it's kind of stuck it's hard to get off so they have said that the 11 speed chain doesn't allow for enough material for them to make it robust enough or have a section where it can notch into place so since they've had to cut down on the material they can't do that now we did get linked to a link from a company called whipperman that's w-i-p-p-e-r-m-a-n-n it's called the whipperman connex that's c-o-n-n-e-x i've used that chain many years and 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 i've never used it feedback was it good i have no problems no complaints at all cool so they claim to have an 11 speed link that is reusable and you can find it on amazon probably find it at a bike shop too so uh that's uh, something to check out so yes you you don't have to throw away the chain you have to throw (laughs) away the link so forgive me uh, on that one uh the next thing that we have to do some makeup work on here is going to bed hungry we talked a little bit about that this week and or a week ago or two weeks ago even and there were some people with some questions about i guess the well someone said if you go to bed hungry you're not going to be able to nourish yourself and get all the things that you need to be faster but in the context we were talking about is someone who was obese Mm -hmm. and we were focusing on weight loss rather than optimal training performance and i haven't even talked about it myself i wanted to lose some weight and then about putting in more food to then kind of raise my ftp yeah but it's it's just it's hard in any sport to at the same time dramatically lose body fat change your body composition and at the same time become you know super fit it's it's really an either or in terms of skipping that late night meal or or not late night meal just dinner it's an either or you can you can lose weight or you can get stronger the the two Mm -hmm. don't really go hand in hand they especially don't go hand in hand if you're skipping meal if you're skipping your meal after a workout, mm. um, lower intensity workouts, not, not so much as higher intensity workouts or strength training workouts, mm. but you skip a meal after something like that when cortisol is elevated and, and blood, blood, glucose, blood sugar is low and all the downstream effects are, are not positive ones, not in terms of performance. You may, performance. You may shed you some still weight, lose weight and that's it. Yeah. So you just have to decide and you know, prioritize. Am I really concerned with losing weight? And am I concerned with improving performance? Because the two uh, and, just, just don't go hand and, in hand in that scenario. And, but in this guy's case, if you're obese, I would argue that losing weight is like the first step for any performance foundation. Because if, let's say you're 100 pounds overweight, yeah, losing those 100 pounds, right. I mean, you're, it doesn't matter what you're, you, you get right. to be a 350 FTP. Yeah. If you're 100 pounds overweight, but, it, but like in my case, I mean, I wanted yeah. to go from 185 down to 175. Did it rapidly and and was super happy with that respect of the of the whole situation. But I lost a, a whole lot of uh, muscle composition. Let's say, yeah. yeah. 
And keep in mind that, so I know Chad and I pretty regularly, our dinners, when we do have them, they're, they're pretty small. Uh, they're, they're, and they're designed for whatever we're going to be using them for. So in that case, if we've done a workout or refuel with like a four to one type of a thing or a common thing that we have, or like eggs and just scrambled eggs, something simple like that, it doesn't have to be a huge meal because there's something also to be said for loading yourself up with a bunch of food, then crashing, just going to sleep. Yeah. Again, I mean, it's dependent on on, on what came before and it doesn't even need to be next day. Yeah. And what comes before or, or what comes the next day also, but also when I say what came before, we're not just talking about, you know, maybe you do a six o'clock workout and then go to bed at nine o'clock, but what happened over the course of that day too, it mm-hmm. could have been a very stressful day in terms of training, in which case refueling doesn't just happen immediately after it also happens in the subsequent hours. Also, if you take in like a normal high carb- carbohydrate dinner, like what we see, like most of us do here, at least in the United States. And then you just go to sleep right after that. That also, yeah. that definitely decreases the quality of your sleep. Uh, that's been proven. So it has been shown. Yeah. So there's, there's is known. a lot of different stuff in that's every direction. Real. My death Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> all right. With all that out of the way, Mike's question, uh, he says, and this actually comes up because a lot of you have submitted questions about Leadville. That's because the lottery opened up last week and uh, I believe closed down almost as fast as it opened up. signed up. up. Next year. Oh, I have zero desire to ever do that race. (laughs) 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 All right. Uh, Yeah, that one. Kudos to anybody that all these people are listening to the podcast. Be like, I'll take Jonathan's job. Yeah, (laughs) all these people that are that have signed up for Leadville. uh, I don't want to poo-poo the event at all. Uh, Kudos to you for having the audacity to take that on. For me, a hundred miles on roads, more or less roads on a mountain bike, sounds like a. A, a bad day. So, but Mike, you are doing it. So you are a better man than I. And you say, I'm a recent triathlete now focused on just cycling, yes, specifically Mike. Leadville 2017. So he's a really good man, right? He's going over to mountain biking. Uh, he says, my FTP coming from triathlon training on average is about 500 to 600 TSS per week. And that's just on the bike. He said, just tested at 4.4 Watts per kilogram doing away with the fatigue, complexity, et cetera, of the other two sports, what would be a realistic watt per kilogram goal or power to weight ratio as a single sport athlete in the first six months? And he says, P.S. I'm 43 and a lifelong cyclist. We could just guess. Yeah. Um, and that's what we can do. A 4.4 triathlete. Awesome. Mm-hmm. 43 though, Chad, as you know, this mm-hmm. is time of the age where performance might not yeah. keep increasing. He's, he's, he's still got a little bit of time. He yeah. can still see improvement yeah. for sure. I'm going to say he could get to five. Yeah, I always try to pin it um, optimistically, usually. Um, when, when athletes are, you're not topped out by any means, Mike, but you still, you probably have some room to grow. I, I just put 10% on it and shoot for 10%. And then you just kind of see where you fall. Maybe you make it 3%, maybe you make it 12%. But uh, I like 10% because it's a round number. And in that case, it would put you really close to five watts kilogram. And that sounds reasonable, 4. even in that, at 43 yeah. years of age. Yeah, I was just going to say 4.8 to five uh, for a person that has the time to dedicate it to it and especially from where you're starting at. It's pretty good. And we don't even know what your body weight is. So some of that could come in the form of decreasing your mat, your body mass. Good point. Yeah. I think it's very much doable. Absolutely doable. And for a race like that, it's interesting because Leadville, your power to weight ratio in a race like Leadville really does come into play because the climbs are so long and consistent. And then kind of on the other side of things, you have really long stretches where it's kind of climbing, kind of down, something like that, but long straight roads or you're prone to crosswinds and everything else. So having 
a high FTP certainly is beneficial in, in any race, but in this case specifically for dealing with a windy day. But at the same time, having a low having low weight is going to be a huge help on those climbs. So it's kind of a kind of a trade off. But regardless, you should be in good shape for that, Mike. Gene, I, well, actually, one thing before we move on, because there were a lot of questions about Leadville, let's yeah. talk about the ideal training plan path for that. Okay. So, and let's just take it from base, build, and specialty. Uh, and actually, maybe before that, what type of fitness, Chad, would you like to see an athlete build? Like, what type of systems would they need or anything else like that for, for Leadville? Leadville is basically a, a longer, ultra-distance type of type of endeavor. Very steady state. <clears throat> going to be working. You're going to be doing a lot of work. And because it's a mountain bike course and, you know, the course terrain does change, there will, there will be some uh, uh, stochastic sort of efforts but for the most part you have to dole out a lot of effort or you know a, a low level of effort over a long duration so what's, it's really just aerobic fitness and sustained power what's yeah. a good time jonathan uh for most people a good time is like sub 10 uh for most people mm-hmm. and then for serious athletes they're shooting for like a sub nine is a good time and for the serious serious ones they're shooting for sub eight so if you did a sub 10 at leadville like you're legit yeah, and there, yeah, you are. You're Haven't a good there been athlete. sub sevens with the the winning times? Oh yeah, yeah. That's like pro riders though. In yeah, fact, yeah. I think that <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly what uh, time they they got last year, but extremely fast riders Smoking last year. Fast, yeah. Extremely fast. Whether Joe Dombrowski was racing it, Lorenz Ten and Lorenz Ten Dam, the guy that looks like he's being attacked by a zombie when he rides a bike. He's just like <laughs> he always look. He's known for going deep. That guy said that Leadville was the hardest day he's ever had on a bike. Wow. And he raced it last year. Wow. So, so energy systems, Chad, if you look, you can Google like um, energy systems and there's, you know, they start anaerobic and then you'll see this curve and it aerobic trails out for like, yeah. what, starting at, I think. Well, it has, it has a depending big... Depending what you look at theoretically forever, but obviously you can't go yeah. forever, but you can go for a very long time. Even at like... I think at a minute, it's still the aerobic system is doing a lot of the work. And in two minutes, it's still yeah, doing a lot of the like work. Yeah, I think it's like after two minutes, 70% of your resources are aerobic. Yeah. I, I can't remember the exact figure, but you get the idea. Yeah. So this it's pretty much a 10-hour... It's like an Ironman kind of, right? Yeah. Like you're good gearing. Yep. Like you said, there might be some spots you have to push a little yeah, bit Yeah, you're going to work here and there, but for the most part, you're going to be working Pop. at what? You know, 60% of threshold. Yeah, that's going to be the average. And everybody tends to fixate on the power line climb and and the and Columbine and the ones where you will be putting out higher than that. Mm-hmm. But we never focus on the time when we're not pedaling as much, and it brings that average down really quickly. So even though, yes, there are times where you'll be pushing really hard and you'll be down all the way down probably into your granny gear, it's not as variable as a normal mountain bike race, not quite as, you know, it's it's much more like a, a road race in that respect. I, I just looked up Todd Wells' time last year. He did 619 world oh. record. Or that was the record. Wow. Just That's crazy fast. So they, I remember... Th- back around Lance's time, I think that they had just dropped below seven, somewhere around there when Lance did it. So it's getting faster and faster. And that was Todd Wells. Kudos, Todd. Wait, Lance who? Who's that? (laughs) (laughs) You beat Joe Dombrowski, who races for Cannondale Drapak. He's a pro tour roadie, uh, which by the way, kudos to him too. Like I know he raced mountain bikes when he was a kid. Yeah. I know he raced mountain bikes as a kid and he's a darn good rider there, but you know, that isn't his forte. So pretty cool to see him just jump in and do that well. But he finished uh, two minutes and 57 seconds behind him. And then Jeremiah Bishop, that guy, finished third. And he's been around for a long mm-hmm. time, man. So plans. Pretty cool. 
Sweet spot base. Yeah, so you know, typically sweet spot base. Sustained build. Sustained build. And then uh, Century? You could yeah, do Century, Century or XC, XC Marathon. What do exactly you think? Right. Which one yeah. of those two? Uh, I think you, you could go either way. Whichever you kind of want to. And then the volume level to it, however much you can take. Yeah, look at the workout selection, see which one motivates you more and go with that. Yeah. We have a blog post on our blog that, that lays out a training plan route that you can take and everything else. And it highlights a guy named Chad Bakken who did it. Pretty cool story. He was super diligent with his training and wanted to PR and he blew away that PR. Uh, pretty cool day. So um, you'll get to learn from Chad's experience. John, then I have a question for you. Yeah. So you don't want to do Leadville, which mm. is probably one of the most ep- or iconic mountain bike races Yeah. because you say you don't want to spend that much time on a mountain bike on fire roads, but yeah. you did Everest, which was like two days, yeah, 220 yeah. miles yeah. longer yeah. in worse conditions on a road bike. Yeah. But uh, explain was, yourself. I was on boring roads, but at least I had a road bike. Does that make sense? But like you say you like <clears throat> mountain biking more. Oh, I do. I do much more, but I would not want to ride a mountain bike on, on road. Are there some crowds a factor with something like Leadville dealing with that many people? Yeah, I like, I like it. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm asking Jonathan. Yeah. I, 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 I don't want to come off like I hate people or something, but, <laughs> but I really don't like massive, uh, like master, like there's a ride around here the called, front, dude. <laughs> the, that's, that's the plan. Right. But there's a race called, uh, the death ride here in, in our area. Mm-hmm. And it's also called the tour of the California Alps. And it's a big day. You get about 16 or 15 to 16,000 feet of climbing yeah. over about 130 miles roughly. Yeah. And it's a, it's a rough day. And I did that one twice, twice, three times. I think I've done it three times. The first time was terrible. I finished second time was terrible. I finished third time. I was the eighth finisher, which is pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. There are some fast dudes, but that day I learned every time I actually started at 4am and even though the official ride like starts at six, I started at four because I was so tired of dealing with all the the people and, and just the congestion. And also with a lot of events and even Leadville, a lot of these people, they're kind of like bucket list events, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people are really preparing for these things, but they don't go there to necessarily, they don't have the same goals as somebody else. So when you have different people with different goals, it creates yeah, and, and not to mention <clears throat> you descend the same climbs you ascend. Yes. So, so you're going up climbs that people are coming down and vice versa, which adds it's a whole other level of danger to the matter out and back with Leadville and same thing with, uh, with the death ride. So yeah. you're retracing your steps. So I look, I, I would, I would gladly do it, especially speaking to my boss right now. I would gladly do it. Um, I'll do it. It's Jonathan's review today. Yeah. <laughs> We're ser- I'm serious. I, I would gladly do it. Uh, at the same time, if you were to say, would you like to go, if you pretty much offered me any other race on a mountain bike or even a road bike, I'd probably take it. Um, well, one of the, swap it out that day. But we'll start we'll your review it. right now. But one of the things I want to do with the podcast is get us to do some more events that would be interesting for podcast yeah. listeners and kind of like how we prepare for them. Cause I think yeah. that is interesting for people. We're average Joe's. So just like the people that are listening, some of you are probably above average, but we're, we're just like you. So we can have some insights that could be really valuable there. I don't think you two guys are, huh. I think I represent the average Joe. <laughs> Our fitness may be a bit better, but we're right. still, you know, we have jobs, we have families. We come at it from a very, yeah, typical perspective in that sense. So 
and for everyone that signed up for Leadville, good luck. Have an awesome time and put in the preparation. One other thing that bears mentioning with this, we say this a lot because it's a common question. People usually ask, if I'm going to plan on doing an 11-hour day, do I need to ride 11 hours beforehand? And with Leadville, just like any other race, it's not necessary to replicate the full duration of the event beforehand. Uh, no one runs a marathon before their marathon. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not necessary. It's not to say you can't do it, but it's uh, if you if you just, don't make time for it, don't discourage yourself by thinking, "Oh, I didn't do it. How am I possibly going to survive it?" And the reason will. is the recovery time, because when you do that, like oh. you're going to be out it takes for a, big a while. Toll. Yeah, and, and you on race day, you're in such a mental state and everything else that you go into this race and two hours into the race, into the race, you're in foreign territory. Anyway, you've probably gotten ahead of yourself or maybe you've just, you know, it's, it's a race. So as much as you think you can prepare or replicate things beforehand, prepare to be surprised. So I have a, I have another question. One. So it's the end of our season, cross season, Mm -hmm. and I'm taking this whole week off. I was super motivated to race more, but now I just feel bad. Like, um, my twenty, my two twenty-six minute races. <laughs> I am still tired, and I tapered and I went really deep. But my question is, Chad, you did a cross plan and tapered and got a sinus infection and didn't race. Yeah. Like, what are you? Are you going to try to pick something else? Or you're just like, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yep. No, I'm good. I mean, my fitness never really ratcheted up that high anyways. My mm-hmm. consistency was problematic with all the travel. I was just going to say that travel. Yeah, so off. so it wasn't like I got to a point where I have all this fitness and I'm just brimming with uh, yeah. uh, performance capability. That's yeah. not really the case. And if it were the case, I'd probably still just, just try to carry some of that fitness into next season's base. Would you think you'd find another race? No, I don't. No. No, that this, this year's had enough. It's time to reset. I know that happens with other people where they'll have one race a year like an Ironman. And then something will happen. They'll get sick or they can't. Oh, make in that it. case, I'd find an alternative yeah. for sure. Yeah. My wife actually did that before with the marathon. She got really sick before one of her races. And we, uh, we, we scheduled another marathon a month later because yeah. it's, it's so, actually it's another trained. reason too not to just build up just one race for your whole season. Jonathan, mm-hmm. you had your real problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and oh, this, yeah. this year, I'm prepping more or less for one big event, right? I'm putting my putting myself in that situation. Having said that, if I get all the way to that point and I'm ready to go and for some reason I can't make nationals, then I will be searching for another event. I think with Chad, cyclocross district chance was not your biggest goal of the year right no so that's something you kind of have any goals it, it kind of came came together at the last moment now right. this year's been <laughs> pretty uh scattershot right yeah he's been doing a lot of product testing <laughs> you know, what's testing your, out different what's things your, instead beers <laughs> yeah, um, yeah that too <laughs> product testing what uh what are your goals next year chad uh duathlon nationals in june is the yeah. first thing on my calendar i'll do some road racing and stuff to to prep for that i'll do some run races as well but uh i'm hesitant to even mention that because i have to see how many knees hold up as i delve back into the running room and forgive that if you can hear we have a, a rogue leaf blower at our window right <laughs> above us right now um let's move on to gene's question he says how long does it take to regain peak ftp topical since we we're just talking more or less about this i took a one-year break after my first 140.6 in 2015 and now training again in 2017 when i started training road my ftp is down 20 percent from his peak that gene is going to depend on a lot of things. Um, pr- primarily your training history. You know, if you've been doing this for a whole long time, it's not going to t- take you as long to regain that fitness as, as it did. Um, the fact that after an entire year, you only declined 20%, I would be encouraged by that. Making it up 20% is not going to take you much time at all, especially if you, like I said, have a history of 
of endurance uh, sports uh, training competition. Um, and even if you don't, coming back, getting back up 20% of me, Nate can attest to this. He had a, a long layoff and, and his fitness climbed back up to where it was pretty quickly. I, well, I've done it three times and each time it takes about a year. <laughs> and then okay, well, before, so quickly. Like, uh, I mean, you go up fast at front, but really to get back to where your peak was, Peak, yeah. To get yeah. back to your peak, and then saying, and then yeah. I usually have to take another year off. That's why I'm so excited this year. To yeah, and, and Gene, only take a week off. If, and then if come you back. truly did reach your peak, then it could be a little, you know, a bit more of a struggle. But I, I don't know if you actually did did attain a peak FTP back when. Yeah, I, I don't think it's probably his physio- physiological. If you're just saying you want to return to where you finished, you know that that could take. Uh, just, three, six well, months. not a year, you know, actually. Yeah, it won't yeah. take him a year. Yeah, I would think that he could get that back pretty quickly, especially mm-hmm. once there's a lot to be said also for you learn in the process of get, reaching peak fitness, a lot of other things outside of the training too that help with that. So in terms of the specific things you need to do for diet or for rest or recovery, and you tend to have those kind of refined or, or identified. So then you can apply them again. That can really help uh, quicken things up. If you, if you had any learnings that you can apply there outside of the bike. So uh, that could help as well. Brian he says, Hey guys, excellent podcast and app. Really glad I found you guys and decided to train with power. My question might be kind of an odd one. Basically after most rides or workouts that are really demanding, either due to intensity or duration, my sweat smells like ammonia. Really weird. I've asked my friends and they've never experienced it. Your friends are probably offended too, if they can <laughs> smell you. Is there a biological or nutritional explanation for this? Yeah, Brian, there is. It's really quite simple. You're metabolizing protein. So one of the byproducts of proteolysis or protein metabolism is ammonia. <clears throat> so the fact is you've run out of carbohydrate and you're starting to metabolize muscle or you know, amino acids, proteins. So um, one of two things, uh, ingest some, some carbohydrate or you know, cut the right off. Um, alternatively, sometimes it can be influenced by dehydration. Um, your, your sweat can be a little more aromatic. If it's if the ammonia concentration is a little higher, but the ammonia is still only there because you're metabolizing protein, so you push to the point where insulin is uh, or not insulin, but uh, carbohydrate is tapped, and your body's going to alternate fuel sources. Hmm. This is very um, common with people um, doing a ketosis diet where yes. they have very very low carbohydrate. You can yeah. Google that it's on their breath. You'd yeah, put, together. Yeah, and they yeah. kind of you're a smelly person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes you stink if you. Yeah, yeah, typically, I think that's just part of the, the adaptation period where you have that, that highly ammonia-smelling breath, and then that tapers as you keto-adapt. Yeah, because I, ideally, you're starting to rely on fat more than, exactly. than protein. So, yeah, so it's a it's a common thing. And also, a lot of people that I see, they tie this in directly with, like, going really deep. I was going so deep, mm-hmm. my breath started smelling like ammonia, or I started mm-hmm. smelling like... And that's, that's not... That's that's no, uh, you can still go you can still go very deep without metabolizing your uh, muscle mass. Exactly, and and could be said that you might be going uh, you might not have a, a balanced fueling strategy or whatever else you need. If that's uh, I don't think anybody's goal is to metabolize protein specifically, right? Yeah, so. no, typically if you get to the point where you are metabolizing protein, like I said, it's time to either eat something or call it a day. Yeah, absolutely, and then probably eat something. And something that uh, is this I don't know, Chad. I, I may be asking a question we're not really prepared for, but I mean. Or maybe we are. A friend of, can answer anything. He can answer it all. He's got it all. Uh, <laughs> Might not be a correct answer, but I'll give you an answer. Uh, our, one of my friends rides uh, pretty regularly, and this happens to him almost every ride. Uh, he takes in a lot of sugar, a lot of sugar. Uh, doesn't take in a lot of fat. It's If an athlete is less fat adapted, would it be more common for them to come across this type of incident happening? 
Uh, I, I don't know that fat adaptation really figures into it. He's okay. just sugar reliant. That's just yeah. his go-to fuel source. So, so then if he runs out of that, his body just... His body's certainly not going to be <clears throat> particularly uh, tuned to... or uh, attuned. Oh, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for. Not going to be particularly good at metabolizing fat. Mm-hmm. I mean, his system's used to, to having sugar uh, at you know pretty much in, in any instance. So... Um, he's cultivated a very sugar-reliant metabolism. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Interesting stuff. Uh, Nigel, I love the podcast and your training plans. I've essentially been through two rounds of high-volume plans focused on road cycling, and I've had my best year to date. However, I want to compete in the national level or national level in time trials and road racing at master's level and hopefully place somewhere. Hopefully you do play somewhere. That would be good. Hopefully toward the front and better than further back. Time is not an issue as I'm fortunate. Uh, he's, forgive me. He says, what extra training can I do over and above what the high volume plans have? Time is not an issue as I'm fortunate to finish work by 3 p.m. most days. I'm thinking a 5% improvement from where, I, from where I am now would see me beat most guys in my age group. I'm conscious of not overtraining, but generally have had no trouble with fatigue with the high volume plans from Trainer Road. Looking forward to your guidance. Yeah, Nigel. So if you're just looking to increase volume, um, so it really kind of comes down to two things. You're you're trying to improve your your VO2 max, and you know when you hear VO2 max, you think you know real hard efforts that are well above threshold, short, high intensity, and it doesn't have to be that. We're just talking about your ability to metabolize fat using oxygen, and you can do that with long slow distance. You can do that with VO2 max work. A couple different ways to go about it. So. Um, that would be the first thing I'd address is trying to increase your, your aerobic efficiency. How you go about it is up to you. You've got a lot of time. Do you want to spend a lot of time on the bike? You can go the long, excuse me, the long, slow distance route. Um, the problem with just increasing the intensity and doing more VO two max repeats is it's super hard on your body. You can only get away with so much of it. The fatigue, the, the hormonal response, all those things add up and you can, it's just a, a much more delicate balance. Um, and then beyond that, especially in the case of time trialing and road racing, is you have to improve your, um, you know, what's now being termed your time to exhaustion. You know, threshold is what it is, but how long can you ride at that threshold wattage? In the case of uh, Masters TT, those are uh, like 35-ish minute time trials. So maybe you're already there. Maybe you've already got the ability to stick your threshold for 30, 35 minutes. But if you don't, you got to figure that out now. Um, so it's not just about elevating FTP, but also how long can you sustain your FTP? And, you know, how, how does that duration compare to your, your events duration? Hmm. So what should events. he do to raise the volume? It's Throwing up to him. Some... I mean, if he's, if he's already doing a lot of intensity, that's, like I said, it's a, it's a, a delicate balance. You don't want to overdo the intensity because it'll, it'll tear you down much quicker than overdoing, you know, just adding on extra mileage, extra TSS fillers, we call them. So I was going to say, maybe on some of those TSS fillers, he could um, see, change it from a TSS filler to like a sweet spot workout, a uh, long he, sweet he, spot he intervals. He and could, that, but, but I think aerobic, aerobic adaptation is more concerned than muscular endurance, at least in the early stages of his training. Yeah. So, so maybe if he's doing four hour rides for his long ride, make him five hour rides um, five hour rides, make him six hour, you know, just try to increase the stress, but do it in gentler, in a gentler, more aerobically inclined fashion. I've had success with that or with that approach right there of just mm-hmm. increasing when I, when I do have a day that's lower on intensity, I just try 
try to increase the duration as I, as I'm able. You can only get away with so much intensity. You can go only get away with so much sweet spot and threshold work too, because again, they come at a higher, uh, hormonal or endo endocrinological, it's such a tough word, (laughs) um, expense. So, you know, if you want to add a lot more time on the bike, obviously it's going to have to be done at the lower end of the the power spectrum. Right. Absolutely. And, and it bears saying to keep in mind the need for recovery, all work has to be offset by an adequate amount of recovery. And, and and to kind of further where Nate's going, I mean, once you have, you know, once you've done a ton of aerobic work and, you know, maybe you've done a bunch of VO2, in any case, you feel like your VO2 max is at a pretty good spot. You can operate at a, at a high level of, or uh, generate a lot of power when you're, you know, putting a lot of oxygen into the system. So that's when you start to shift more toward what Nate's talking about with uh, increasing your, your ability to withstand that high level of output. So now you start doing longer sweet spot workouts, seeing to it that you can apply and sustain, you know, this, this new higher power for longer and longer periods of time. Hmm. Absolutely. Kind of bounce back and forth between those two things. Let's go to Josh's question. He says, if I'm using trainer road with a Wahoo kicker snap and erg mode with power match, and just to explain all of that gibberish that, that happened right there, the Wahoo kicker snap is their wheel on trainer that you, that you have. So you don't smart have to take trainer. your wheel off yeah. and it's a smart trainer. So that can, that, that explains the erg mode part. Erg mode just means that the trainer is controlling or trainer road or something similar is controlling the resistance of the trainer so that you're hitting your power targets. So that's what erg mode is. Power match, the last thing he said, is a feature that Trainer Road has that uses the power data from your power meter uh, instead of using the power to control the resistance instead of using the power data from your from yeah, your smart so trainer. What Power Match does is it looks at the difference between what your erg trainer, in this case the Wahoo Kicker Snap, says that it's at and what the power meter says that it's at. As we've seen, a lot of the trainers, that could be a 10, 20 watt difference. Mm-hmm. And also that could be a difference between depending at where you are in the power profile. So if you're at 100 watts, the difference might be 10 watts. But then when you're at 300 watts, it could be 30 watts. That means the slopes of the two things are are different. And um, we always say just like if you're using a power meter, let's go off of that. Because you're going to use that outside too. And it should be more accurate. I mean, that's what what they're made for. Right. So... um, Yes, do a spin down on the Wahoo Kicker Snap. Let's let's get to his question really quick. I'll read that out. Um, oh yeah, you says, didn't ask. Yeah, yeah, I read yeah. <laughs> He says, "Is it ever necessary for me to do a spin down?" And that's a spin down calibration where you just spin up to a certain speed, then stop pedaling. It coasts and it measures how long it took. Is it ever necessary for me to do a spin down calibration on the Kicker Snap since I'm not using the trainer as a power source? Or is there still some benefit to performing a spin down on a kicker, kicker snap, or comparable trainer? Will it improve the accuracy of power match in erg mode and make the resistance levels for uh, consistent in slope mode for FTP testing? Um, So you you don't have to. I actually don't. But if you do, what what could improve is the difference between your power meter and your kicker snap. Like if your kicker snap is not calibrated correctly and then you do do a spin down, it's calibrated better, and there's only a three watt difference, then power mesh is a lot less work and you'll experience less of those. Like you'll feel it change. Yep. Um, that really gets in people's heads is it's easy, but the kicker snaps not applying enough resistance. And then we, we apply it in five watt increments and it starts to get harder. And sometimes people will then lower their cadence because it got harder. And then yeah. they'll kind of get in this stage where it's always changing. Um, so having smaller changes makes it so it doesn't happen, but you don't have to. And, also, the slope, that won't be affected at all 
That's because it's just a constant yeah. resistance and your power meter will get all the all the watts. Something that we've all noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, is smart trainers, they really make things smooth. It's like you're riding on glass with yeah, like no Well, wind, no, it's not. Know? So they will give the perception that it's smooth. What happens, yeah. so the, okay, I love the guys at Wahoo, but <laughs> what they have done is when they output the Wahoo kicker's power, it is smoothed to all, like, it's extremely, extremely smooth. Mm-hmm. So if you just use a Wahoo kicker, and you do a workout and it locks you into say 200 watts well on what's displayed to you on trainer road or any if you pair a power meters to the wahoo kicker it'll be like you're at 200 200 201 200 199 200 200 <laughs> and you just think that you're a machine yeah and i used so- to think i was so good at this stuff. <laughs> yeah exactly so you see that but then if you pair a power meter at the same time and you don't have any power like we're not doing anything you're just recording two power sources at once yeah. that power meter will show how much you're going actually above and below the target. Fluctuating a lot. And, yeah, and it's normal. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, I don't think it's enough to change your training. You're still like nailing it, but it's just not, the numbers go up and down a little bit. So when people, they go from wild kicker, they get a power meter and they use power match and they see the number move. They're like, oh, trainer road is not working. Well, no, it's actually, that's your actual power output. Your body's not a machine and it can't just output that 200 watts. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. And then the wild kicker is also doing small adjusts, adjusting while you're doing it. And yeah. And the the kicker also, the feel of it, it feels like you're riding across glass. It smooths things out pretty well at the feel end of things too. And, and when we're doing power match, we're making those adjustments so that you're riding where you need to be. So it feels more like you're riding out. And if you're riding in just your bike in a normal circumstance. So, um, those things are something that I see that are commonly misunderstood. Good explanation of it, Nate. Yeah. Another thing will happen too, is as you ride, um, heat can affect some of these trainers and that's why they have you do spin down calibrations after it warms up. So it could actually drift. So as you get farther and farther in the workout, we might be bumping it up a little bit more and more. Right. Yeah. So, is there anything wrong with recalibrating mid ride then? Like no, doing I mean, spin down calibration? no, but it's really not going to be, uh, once you stop pedaling to power match resets itself. So it kind of starts over and, and has a zero offset. And so it's better just to keep pedaling and not even do a yeah. calibration. And, and if you do reset it, it should only take 20 seconds for it to kind of lock back in. Yeah. We have an experimental new version of power match that we're working on. That's all I can say right now. Oh yeah. Exciting <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, Gabe, he says, what's the accuracy, and this is along the same veins, what's the accuracy of virtual power on a low-end fluid trainer? He mentions it's the Travel Track 2000. My eight-minute test gave me a number that appears to me to be somewhat inflated. Or perhaps you just don't have enough confidence in yourself, Gabe. Take confidence. <laughs> no, it's, it, it might be the case. He says, the perceived exertion of the test and the workout seems appropriate, but I just have a hard time believing that the FTP number I'm trying to, uh, I am training to. I feel I've been challenged so far, but never had to quit a workout or decrease intensity. Yeah, so for the two parts here. First, with the virtual power, you can't use that number to compare other people, but we're not measuring virtual power. And virtual power is where we have power curves for trainers. And long story short, you can train like a, like you have a power meter with a speed sensor, but what we're not measuring is the rolling resistance between your rear tire and the drum. That's what in the previous question, that's the walk kickers spin down does try to measure is the resistance right there. Mm-hmm. And it can applies an offset to your power. So we say, as long as you keep everything consistent, Meaning you tire sh- pressure and roller pressure. In other words, yeah. how pumped up your tire is and how hard that drum is pressing against the tire. And even your tire. If yeah. you switch and from yes, a gator skin point. to like a race 
scanner like this, yeah. you, you probably want to retest. Um, so just imagine them as numbers that you're using, but don't use them to compare to other people at all. So if they say uh, 310 and you're really like a 210 rider, just keep training at that 310, but don't tell people your FTP is 310. Mm-hmm. Your virtual power FTP is 310 and you can just use it to increase it. But if you, you know what, for the eight minute test, if you hold 310 um, when you test and then six weeks later you hold 330, well, you're getting more fit. Yeah, right? that's the thing with as long as you are using the same settings in Trainer Road and the same settings on your trainer, you're going to get the benefits that you get with training with power, which is the nice thing is you just have to have something that's consistent from Monday to Tuesday to, you know, every day. So his, his next question is um, he's wondering if it's like if he tested correctly because he's he's, he's been challenged, but he's never had to quit a workout yeah. or decrease <clears throat> yeah, intensity. Want to, definitely want to comment on that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting it right most of the time, but you have to understand where your boundaries are and you're not going to discover those boundaries until you push to the point of having, you know, one of those bad workouts or having to decrease the intensity or quit a workout. If it's never happened, you never really, you've you've yet to really explore what you can actually do. What is hard, but in sweet spot base. So I'm most people right now are in sweet spot base. And if he's in sweet spot base one low volume, it, yeah, there are not, exceptions. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to really be pushing your limits. Sure. Uh, cyclocross mid-volume, as I just went through? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. As the plans become more specialized, and even when you get into sweet spot base two and you start yep. seeing VO2 max repeats, you should start to struggle. And if you if, if that point you're not struggling, something's up. You've, you've probably you underestimated your, your capabilities. So yeah. you could retest, or what we would do, uh, I would do is I would just buff my, bump my FTP up. Five watts yep. at a time. And try it out, yep. see how it feels. Yep. And, yeah, and also all try, it try it out for more than just one workout too, I would suggest, because certain workouts will be harder or yeah. easier. And if you bump it up and that happens to be on a really hard day, you may think you went way too far. There's a bit of common sense with this. And I'm yeah. going to do an analogy with weightlifting. Imagine you go and you lift weights and you got your max bench press of 200. And then you start working out based on that 200 and you're like, everything's so light. I just so easy. <laughs> well, you know what a bench or a weightlifter would do is I'm going to put five more pounds on, see if I can do these workouts. Yep. And that's what they would do. Same idea. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I think because of the tests that we have, people are like, I must stay locked into this yes, forever. That is absolutely I don't get any stronger. No, mm-hmm. you don't have to formally reassess every time. And anytime you suspect there's improvement, if you want to, you know, compensate for that and nudge things up a bit, feel free. Yeah, yeah. The point is to keep putting out more power. Right. Yeah. That's the goal. That's the Keep goal. getting stronger. Growing your work capacity. Yeah. So, and one last thing on this, Gabe, it seems like, uh, the, I guess the important thing is don't get tied into this specific number that you're at, especially, you know, in comparing it to other people. It's all about if you're training at the right intensity and, and that'll become apparent as we talked about there. So son, I'm going into my fifth year of road racing. I used trainer road last year and I'm using it again this year. I'm using the mid-volume plans. I feel like my FTP has plateaued. If I want to increase my FTP and if time allows, should I do a variant of the mid-volume and high-volume plans on Trainer Road, or should I sacrifice more to do the high-volume plans in order to raise my FTP? Or is there some other strategy I should consider to increase my FTP? Thanks, and I appreciate all the work you guys do on the app and podcast. So, son, it's safe to say something needs to change. Um, the body is tremendously adaptable, and it gets good at doing uh, at, at doing repetitive tasks or, or the same thing all the time. It'll find a way to do it more efficiently, and uh, basically plateaus like the one you're describing take place. So you just have to decide, you know, what what amongst your options are is going to elicit. Hopefully the best uh, improvement, the greatest amount of uh, positive change. Um, that might be 
uh, more volume. You know, there might be uh, adding a, a long ride outside each week. That might be adding an extra sweet spot interval to the end of a mid-volume uh, workout. It might mean moving up to the high volume plan, might be more VO2 max work. So there, there are a lot of different ways you can go about I- increasing the, the stress and you know the, finding a new level of overload that leads to the training adaptation you're looking for. So what that is, it's hard to say. Um, it, just look at anything you're doing a lot of right now, anything you've gotten good at, and that's probably what you don't need to work on. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, so some, what Sun said is maybe a variant between the mid and the high. Mm-hmm. Um, they could do that, right? They could sure. put the two. Yeah, exactly. I'm I mean, sorry. Can, I don't know if Sun is a You can a take the structure guy. of maybe the mid-volume falls into your week or works well with the, the format of your week and your work schedule and, and, your, and your life schedule and just, just plunk in some of the higher volume workouts. Um, same thing, you can go to the higher volume structure and use the occasional mid-volume workout. I mean, yeah, but yeah, a variant of the two is absolutely acceptable. And I might do something like this, and we talked about it before, but I'm not going to want to do, or I don't I don't have the, I want to, but I don't have the time with my family to do those really long mm-hmm. weekend rides. Um, so I'm going to do sweet spot, longer, probably 20-minute-ish intervals on mm-hmm. the weekends to replace those. Maybe 85% FTP, try to get them up to 90% FTP. Sure. Even... If I feel really good, try to do 95, but that's, I found that's a, a great way too to kind of increase the volume without saying, Hey family, I'll see you at 2 PM, right? <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. fun with your day. And yeah. that's, that's one of the safer ways to lift FTP or I'm sorry, not FTP, TSS. So you know, we talk about TSS fillers and they're typically really low intensity rides. You can do it with sweet spot work too. Obviously you can't do as much of it, but if you're doing, you know, a, a through, uh, say a four by 10 minute sweet spot workout and you add a fifth 10 minute interval, that's a safe way to go about it. Or maybe you, you add a sixth one. Good time saver too. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. it's uh, time, time uh, efficient. And thinking also, you don't mention sun, if you feel uh, particularly fatigued as you're plateaued or if you have plenty of energy, but uh, it's something to analyze off the bike and away from the training is your recovery. Are you, are you being as efficient as you can with your recovery? And clearly that's all within the, the means of, of the circumstances of our lives because you can't just lie down on a couch all day and, and make bread. So uh, analyze that. See if you can somehow make things more efficient. Maybe diet. Maybe there are a lot of different ways that you can enable yourself maybe to train a little more if you are feeling fatigued. That's assuming that's the case. But And the number one thing too, I don't even mention this, but consistency. Oh, if you're yeah. consistent throughout the year, that's amazing. I think a lot of people... Like even I thought I was consistent. Then I look back at it. I'm like, oh yeah, there's that. We had that meeting there. I had that travel there, and I missed those five days there. And like, yeah. that wasn't very consistent. I wonder what would happen if I was consistent. Yeah, it's called. It would have been a lot better. It's right? called professional athletics, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, Danny. Hi, I have two unrelated questions. First, when doing the prescribed intervals in a workout, I find the numbers to hit are fine and manageable. In between intervals, I really like to soft pedal. For example, if I have five minutes between sets and trainer road calls for 89 watts, I much prefer to spin easily at 30 watts. Does that make a difference? The 89 watts, while obviously easy, does not feel easy enough. So let's uh, handle that one first. Um, So the... Recovery valleys on all the intervals, they're not exactly arbitrary, but they're meant to be extremely low intensity. So if low intensity for you is 30 watts, spin at 30 watts. All we're looking for is enough enough of a recovery, active rest, interactive recovery, for you to be able to make the next interval productive. 
Um, ideally, that takes place in whatever time frame I've allotted with the intervals, and that's that's something I'd prefer people didn't change. Yeah. But the intensity of that recovery valley is entirely up to you. I spend a lot of my recovery valleys on the higher intensity workouts backpedaling which is zero load. I'm letting it fall to zero watts, but that's what gets me ready for the next interval. Keeps my muscles active, keeps the the blood flowing, but allows my muscles to recover to the point where I can make the next interval productive. Yeah. Two things on this. Uh, number one, what you said, Chad is really important. I see a lot of people talking about going out and doing an interval workout and they'll, let's just say they have, you know, VO twos, three minutes of VO two, right. And they're going to do 10 of those. That that would be a lot, but they're going to do five of those and they can go and do all five, but the rest in between isn't structured. And I've never been in a bike race when somebody is attacked and then we've all been able to say, you know what, hold on. I'd like to rest a little longer before I have to attack again. And then that guy attacks, you know, it's just, they're going to come all the time. So structuring the duration of your rest intervals is just as important as structuring the duration of those work intervals. It's, it's really important stuff. Yeah. And that's why you'll notice over time, or as you move towards your, your specialty and within your specialty that the recoveries will become more race like, like Jonathan's talking about, they'll be super short you'll do your hard efforts and then you'll have a, a painfully short recovery before you have to do it again. But in terms of building capacity, you know, in the earlier base and build sort of work, um, those recoveries should be long enough, sufficiently long enough to, to get you ready for the next interval, even yeah. if that means riding at 30 watts or zero watts. Yeah. By the way, Chad, thanks for the cross plan because these last races, the word is, is it was like a cross, exactly the cross workouts because it was so awesome. technical with money. <laughs> it was like no power, no power. And then there'd be like a clear section <laughs> for like 50 <laughs> yards, 600 watts for yeah. like 20 seconds, right? Yeah. And then it would be like no power, no power, six hundred watts. <laughs> yeah, I could. I I was I was doing it all day long and it was fine. I think on my first race, I think it was like twenty five minutes, and I had four and a half minutes over four hundred fifty watts. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big percentage. <laughs> yeah, right. It that's a like, lot. Yeah, like a quarter of my ride was above four fifty. Holy cow! Or maybe it was four hundred. It was somewhere in there. The other thing with this is, and Chad, I may be over speaking here, so please curtail things, but. When you have a rest interval that is lower in intensity, it's um, it's different than people sometimes view like a rest interval is when they're, you know, with over unders, that is not a rest when you're dropping down from the oh, over yeah. to the under. No, or if you have things. like sweet spot workouts where you might be dropping down in intensity from your threshold, but it's still, you're still working. Yeah. It's, it's important that you distinguish between a rest interval and an actual. Yeah. And a so work sometimes interval. I'm working on um, sort of fatigue resistance. So where I don't let you fully recover and you mm-hmm. go into the next interval a little more fatigued than, than recovery covered and that's that's intentional yeah so recovery valleys are pretty obvious i mean they're down typically at 40 percent. you know right. sometimes as high as 50 percent um, but they're it's pretty obvious what we're after so basically the point is if you can pedal through them do mm-hmm. but it's much better to back pedal or pedal easier on a recovery yeah. than to have a take out of your next workout if it really is to meant to be the recovery. next interval next if interval, it really yeah. is meant to be recovery Absolutely. Boom. Yeah. And I, I, I call it active recovery, well summed up. Yeah. not active rest and we're not resting we're we're recovering and we're doing it actively. And that is key. So, so even when I backpedal, my muscles are still moving. I'm not just sitting there letting everything well up rather I'm, I'm continuing to, to encourage the circulation, you know, fuel in byproduct out. Awesome. Danny's second question. I am a triathlete that mostly focuses on half Ironman distance when doing intervals. I always seem to enjoy and more importantly, succeed more with a shorter burst of power type intervals lasting two to four minutes. Then the longer, and he compares that to his performance of the longer sustained five, 10 or even 20 minute length intervals. It's curious to me as I would think that the longer stuff would be more manageable after five years of long distance triathlon. 
It's even more curious as I was a distance swimmer at the college level. Why would you think this is, why would you think that is? I'm, I'm the same way, Danny. Yeah. You know, and just because that's what you do, that doesn't mean that's what your body's meant to do. You know, you might be better at events that you're not subjecting yourself to. You're doing endurance events, you know, longer endurance events, but who knows, maybe you have a phenotype that's more built around doing shorter, harder stuff. Hmm. Your, your muscle composition might not be, you know, favorable toward, Something like uh, ultra distance racing. That's uh, just the way it is. You can alter it to some extent and you can certainly train for particular events, but does that mean you'll excel at those events? Not necessarily. Hmm. And that's, so, and that's like me, for example, and we brought up Leadville earlier and how that's not a race that I would pick. And that's because I've gone through the process of understanding what I'm best at. Right. And in my case, I'm, I'm best at short repetitive efforts. That's what I'm usually best at this year. I'm not great at anything, but that's what I'm usually best at. So uh, you do learn to kind of pick things. Having said that, if you enjoy those type of events, despite the work mm-hmm. that you put into it, yeah. then keep doing them. You know, it's not just because yeah, it's just isn't because like those... you're tested and it finds out exactly what you're good at and that's what you're stuck with. You yeah, can experiment. And, and those type of intervals are harder for you, but that, does that mean you're bad at them? I mean, you may have to focus a little more. They may, you know, pull a little more. And I just got to say, longer intervals are harder. Shorter ones are over. They're more intense, but they're over a lot sooner. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm kind of a, an all rounder. I can do the short, hard stuff. I can do the long, not so quite hard stuff, but I much prefer the short, hard workouts over the longer, longer stuff. In middle school, I took one of those tests about what you should be when you grow up. And it literally said I should be a bricklayer. Cause I was like, I like outdoors. I like to use my hands. Like I like a, you know, flexible schedule or, or not flexible schedule, but like, you know, yeah. less supervision, like bricklayer. Brick there <laughs> doesn't mean though I should then. <laughs> oh, I should do that for the rest of my life because exactly. that's the way my body's meant to be, or something. Right? Yeah. Quite flawed. And, and also, there. and I know that you know Chad said that you know he's he and Chad, you're definitely more of an all rounder, I would say. And some people tend to be toward the short side. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people like Ironman athletes that are listening to this that hear VO2 intervals and they're just like, oh, that makes me want to puke. So mm-hmm. it everybody has different abilities, but the cool part is we can our we're plastic. We can train things and we can try stuff out. It's cool. There's a psychological component to it as well. I mean, knowing that you've only got to suffer for two minutes as opposed to suffering for 20 minutes and you might have more than, you know, just that single interval. Yeah. It it can be, you know, it, it can drag you down a bit. Yeah. Uh, final question is from Chase, and this is why. He says, this is why I included it. He said, help me spend my money. I like doing that. That's fun. He says, I'm coming off an injury. I'm looking to gift myself something to help keep the excitement up while training myself back into shape. Trainer membership. <laughs> That's right. That's good. Uh, I'm ultimately targeting the Mount Washington Hill Climb next year. That's a cool one. I've always read about that one. That would be something that's on my list. I would love to do that. I train exclusively indoors with power for my tax Neo. Outdoors, I have a strong habit of getting used or getting excited and blowing myself up shortly after when riding for fun without power. What I'm considering. Option number one, an on-bike power meter to help pace myself outside. Option number two, upgrading my Trek Amanda ALR frame, that's an aluminum frame, to a carbon one to shed weight. Number three, use the money on on a nutritionist or liposuction (laughs) to shed weight from me instead. Thanks for the great podcast. And considering my question, Chase, it's easy. Which ones? Which one do you guys? Which one? I'm curious. Uh, Chad, you go first. Which one do you pick? Uh, Option the one. Power meter, obviously. I mean, and not just because we we are trainer road and we're heavily invested in the whole power based training. 
just because, I mean, it, learning to pace yourself outside with the, the benefit of a power meter um, is, I, I don't even know how to, it's just so obvious. <laughs> yeah, right. I, and I, yeah, and I, I'm on the same page, Nate. Yeah, the, the Trek upgrade, well, maybe, maybe save a pound. Maybe. maybe. And yeah. honestly, I would say that you would get more benefit when you upgrade the carbon there out of the ride quality mm-hmm. than the actual weight and, and, and that once again, that's a perceived thing. It's not going to mean your bike's going to handle better. It's too, I rode an aluminum bike for years and then I went to a carbon bike and I preferred the aluminum bike. That's so they, and they have like, uh, so Cannondale has been known to always make really good aluminum bikes. I'm, I bet the Amon does good because Trek's good with that, but, um, specialized has their Alay sprint. Mm-hmm. That's the stiffest frame they make in terms of bottom bracket stiffness. It's also really comfortable. And a friend of mine actually on the Everest ride, he had his S works Venge via stolen in New York, which has got to be sad. Oh. And it got stolen. And as a replacement bike that he got from specialized, he got the Alay sprint and he said he actually liked the Alay sprint better. Hmm. Oh. So they it's aluminum bikes aren't worse. They cost less usually, but there's a lot of room for innovation with aluminum still. And besides the pound you're going to save from switching frame to frame is pretty much inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, money on nutritionist. Uh, No, you have us. Just don't eat so much. (laughs) Yeah, don't. (laughs) Never eat dinner. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, The nutritionist side of things is... I honestly feel like that's um, that's high-hanging fruit, so to speak, and the power meter is low-hanging. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. So power meter. Yes, I agree. Power meter. All what, around. When we've talked about power meter suggestions, but they're... Oh, any of the major ones. They're all so good. Yeah, there's any... Mm-hmm. Whatever you think for, that you want for the major brands, and I would get one of those. Yeah. And DC I'm, Rainmaker is a good place to look yeah. for accuracy and reports and all that. I'm riding the new Cork, by the way. The It's the D0. It's the dual band I one. I get that tomorrow. Ooh. It's, I'll soon be riding the new rotors. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and that is... It's a good power meter. It's nice looking. But I think they've also refined a little bit of what they do with the data, and it's just they're good engineers. And stages is great, all of them. So you mean you yeah. say that too because you think the cadence updates quicker? That's what I think. So because the last I had the Quark Elsa before, and it was just a couple years old, and I got the uh, I didn't have to use a cadence magnet through a firmware update. In other words, I had to use a cadence magnet. Then they pushed a firmware update that allowed it to use the accelerometers instead. And I think they've made some progress with how they handle the accelerometer data because it's just it's not unrealistically smooth at all. It's just like the perfect amount of smoothness. It feels like it's really. And it's good. funny too that like just the cheapest Garmin cadence sensor would be the most accurate because it's just a magnet going around. Exactly. One, one. one. Yep. Accelerometers are an estimation, whereas the magnet is an absolute. That would maybe call it a estimation. That's true. Estimation, but the the cadence one is just like, it's triggering a read switch with a magnet and it's just like, dink, dink, dink. Yeah. So, uh, just you, you, you'll do well with the power meter and good luck at the Mount Washington Hill climb. That sounds like an awesome race. Always wanted to do it. Thanks for submitting your questions, everybody. You can do so at trainerroadcom slash podcast, or use the hashtag ask trainer road on different social channels. You can find us on Snapchat at trainer road as well. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Thanks everyone. Um, one last thing. Oh, someone hazed me. This was the day before, but someone said, there's no glory in winning the seas. So I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, I got to win the bees. Okay, bye-bye, everyone. <laughs> bye.